Okay, so uh, we're in Mark chapter 10. We're finishing Mark chapter 10. Uh, Blind Bartimaeus. I, I think this is where you ended last week. So, But um, this is a very important uh, Bible passage because it is a, a hinge passage or transition passage. Uh, it's at the end of a section in the Gospel of Mark that started at, in chapter 8. And... If you, actually I didn't write that down, so if you have your Bibles, you can actually turn to Mark chapter 22, I'm sorry, Mark 8, uh, verse 22, no, there are not 22 chapters in Mark, so that would be difficult, and this is a uh, the beginning of the section here. Now, it, in my note there, I, I say... Something about verse 18, because it could, have, it could start a little earlier, but Mark 8, 22 through 26 is the healing of the blind man who sees walking trees first, and then Jesus does it again, and then it works. And um, they, uh, the reason why this is a transition passage here is because um, they had the feeding of the 5,000, which is a big moment in the Gospel of Mark. And then Jesus and them are talking about, I'm sorry, feeding the 4,000, well, 5,000 and 4,000, but then Jesus is kind of talking about the meaning of them, meaning of it, and they don't get it, the, the 12 disciples. And in Mark chapter 18, 22 through 26, it gives a very, uh, you know, powerful image of this coming from blindness to sight, but not all at once. So there's this um, intermediate period. There's like a growth in sight, in a sense. And so when we read this, we shouldn't be too surprised if things uh, don't always click right away. And so I have in the uh, top, the title is, is there any hope for the disciples? It's a good question. Because, um, but... That's right. So, obviously, we know the answer to that question because we are here, but how it gets played out in the Gospel of Mark is, is really helpful for us. So, in Mark eight twenty two through 26, it's about this man who's blind. But in verse 18, Jesus asks the 12 disciples very poignantly, Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? So, Jesus is... Contrasting then this spiritual blindness and physical blindness. And for Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, they are not necessarily mutually exclusive. So a healing story about someone who's physically blind isn't just about their physical blindness. Because those who are spiritually blind can actually see something but don't see it. So it kind of it kind of is kind of this uh, uh, very kind of robust picture of what blindness means. All right, so in verse 18, you know, there's no answer to these questions, right? Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear? They don't, like, say, well, yeah, yeah, I I can see. There's no question to this, so now you are wondering what's happening. And then, of course, in verse 21, Jesus says, do you not yet understand? And then it switches. And end scene, transition, fade out, fade in as they're walking to Bethsaida. So, you know, it's kind of a um, powerful section there because you're wondering, well, do, do they get it? 
And as the, as the movie keeps rolling, it's not real hopeful. You know, like, no, they don't get it. Because from that point on, uh, you have the immediate following, you have Peter confessing Jesus as Lord, but of course, what is he called? What is Peter called after he calls Jesus Christ? He's called Satan. Peter's called Satan. So does he know what he's talking about or not? Well, and then, of course, then in the Transfiguration, they don't know what's going on. In fact, they, it says, um, for they didn't know what, to, know what to say, then he just blurted out something. And then when Jesus heals the epileptic boy, the disciples can't do anything about it. And then the disciples ask, who's the greatest? Again, showing this, this ineptitude about who Jesus is and who they are as disciples. Um, so, I mean, there's this one, one hit after another where the disciples are really oblivious to the things that are happening. Okay, so then we come to blind Bartimaeus. So the setting is important to this because um, we haven't really thought about this. Where are they going? Well, of course, they go to Jericho, but they're going through Jericho, and they're on their way to Jerusalem. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Of course, we know what he's going to do because he's already told us three times what's going to happen in Jerusalem. He's going to die and rise again. So as an observer of a, a drama that's happening, a movie that's happening, we know that he is going to Jerusalem to die. So that's important for us because, of course, um, you know, when he dies, he wins. So he's going there to conquer, to, 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 to you know, take his spot. The other thing, though, too, though, is as you go through Jerusalem, this should, does this remind you of any other, I'm sorry, go through Jericho. Does this remind you of any other Jericho story? Because it's important. Joshua. Now, what's Jesus' name in Hebrew? Bam. So Joshua goes through Jericho. Of course, where is Joshua headed to when he goes through Jericho? Yeah, to to Jerusalem. So Jesus is this new, this uh, new Joshua, and there's there's fulfillment of messianic. Uh, Old Testament titles in this section. Not only is he the new Joshua, but of course, what is he called by Bartimaeus? Son of David. Which could be then uh, a, an acknowledgement of the prophecy in Isaiah as the, you know, the root of Jesse, who is the son of David, who will be the king forever. It could also mean, be a, like, who is the son of David? Literally. The, I mean, the, the main one that most people think of Solomon. So, of course, Solomon, is, what does Solomon's name mean? Does anyone, does anyone know that by chance? Yeah, peace, right? Peace is, uh, is do you know what Jerusalem is? It's the city of peace. So, he's, he's fulfilling all these things that are happening. And um, that's important. So, so that, that kind of, okay, so Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Take, take over the promised land to become king and to provide peace. Okay? Now, 
this is important for us because at the beginning of Mark chapter, or I'm sorry, the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, there is an acknowledgement of the way. Prepare the way of the Lord. John the Baptist is there to prepare the way of the Lord. Make your path straight, the way of the Lord. There's this, the way. And in the Gospel of Mark, the way of the Lord is not just um, a physical you know, path or street or uh, road. It's actually a way of life. So it's his, so one who follows Jesus has to follow Jesus along the way of the Lord. Okay. And in verse 52, so you have the setting of coming through Jericho on your way to Jerusalem, and then you have this path or this road. And it, that's important for us because um, it, in the ESV that I read in chapel and the one that I have on the sheet, at, at the end of there, followed him on the way. The little translation is in the way, like followed in the way. And that might help us a little bit. Like, I mean, how would that, I mean, it doesn't really literally change how we picture it, but in terms of emphasis, when you're in the way, what does that mean? It could mean a couple things. So when you're in the way, you're in my way. You're an obstacle. But what does that mean in proximity-wise? Yeah, you're like, you're, you're together. So usually we use it pejoratively, and that's, that wouldn't make any sense if you literally translate it that way. Follow them in the way, you'd be kind of like, what's going on? Um, so that makes better English, on the way. But in the way also means that he, if you are following in the way, yeah, and, and if you think about following, you're actually inside the what, the, the footsteps. That would be the, the picture. So, you know, it's like a child following through the parents. Footsteps in the snow, deep snow, you step into those steps. So that, again, of course, you have this blind man who's been healed. And what does he do? He walks in the footsteps of Jesus. So this is a culmination, though, of course, because then the next thing that happens in Mark chapter 11 is the triumphal entry. So again, there's this sort of like this scene change, but at the same time, it's also a, the story's kind of going in a little bit of a different direction. The emphasis is no longer on the disciples and discipleship, but now, it, now it's going to be focused on Holy Week. Yeah, Carol. Yeah, right. That's very important. Birth, right? Yeah, exactly. Right. That's exactly right. Now, this is really important for us because it says that he's already like he had he had sight, and of course, it, having eyes to see, could he see? And um, he says, yeah, at one time I could see. But now he can't. Which, of course, you know, I was once blind, but now I can see, right? So you have this amazing grace kind of maybe song in the background. It's, it's the soundtrack of this scene where this man comes up to Jesus. But that's very important. Recover my sight. In fact, in the Greek, it's like, again, let me recover my sight again. It's actually, I don't know why they 
I guess that recover your recover my site is is a okay way to say it. But um, yeah, he went, He was he was seeing before, and now he's blind. Um, and that's important because he knows what's wrong with him, and he knows who will save him or heal him. And this is really important for him because he has no. Okay, well, just picture, okay, so he's sitting on the side of the road, so he's not in the way of the Lord, he's on the side of the road, and he wants to get in the way. He wants to get in that way, or follow Jesus. And the details in the passage are very important. So you've got to picture them, and they're not just there to, like, they're not telling facts. I mean, they're telling things that happened, but Mark tells them in a way that helps us see more than just details. What does he do once the crowd tells him, hey, go, you know, he's calling you. Get up. First of all, they say, uh, take, take heart. Is that what they say? It's like, it could be, yeah, be brave, have courage. Um, take heart. Yeah, well, this is great because, um, I think Jesus does something to the crowd as much as he does something to Bartimaeus. Because why in the world are the crowds telling, well, rebuking him. First of all, the word rebuke is very important. And I think I list, yeah, Mark 1.25, Mark 4.39, and Mark 9.25. Those are all three instances where um, Jesus rebukes something. Does, Does anyone know what he rebukes in those instances? Yeah, unclean spirits, demons. So um, they could be. Oh, and oh, by the way, then uh, what are the? Well, not in every situation, but especially in Mark chapter one, what do the demons call Jesus? Yeah, Holy One of God. I mean, there's these. Yeah. So what is this man calling him? Son of David, which of course is a kind of a, a big deal. Now, not in the Gospel of Mark in the triumphal entry, but in John, and I think in Luke, I should look that up. Again, the people who are Hosanna to the son of David. And then the Pharisees are like, you've got to quiet those people down. And then Jesus says, hey, if they don't shout it, the stones will shout it. So you already have this um, title that's appropriate for Jesus. But before this man, it was always demons saying it. So maybe there could be a chance that the crowd is like just doing what Jesus did before earlier. Because this is also another thing too, is that they might think he has a demon because he's blind. Physical maladies and spiritual maladies, again, are very interconnected. Or... They could be rebuking him because they don't get it. Because who, who are they mimicking? It's, uh, just earlier in chapter 10, somebody else rebuked somebody. A group of people rebuked others that weren't supposed to be rebuking anybody. Yeah, the 12 are rebuking the parents or adults who are bringing children to Jesus. So maybe that's what they're doing. Who knows? It's a very odd thing. But of course, do they stay silent? No. I mean, Jesus says, they call them, and all of a sudden, they're doing exactly what Jesus says. So, 
it's a, it's a, it's a very kind of odd, I, I think about this in terms of like, how would this play out in a, a movie again? I mean, they're, t they're rebuking him. Now, rebuking means, you know, it's, it's a very powerful word. Kind of maybe, I mean, I would think it would be like rated R language, maybe, or PG-13 language. And then Jesus stops and says, call him. And then the same people are like instantaneously like different. It's kind of an odd thing. It's just weird. I think it's funny. It could be kind of a comedic kind of point. Aaron. Well, I was just thinking about too how it's right before the triangle entry. So tracing um, how people have viewed Jesus right. along his journey. That's right. This is right before the point where they're like, Are you possibly Yes. He's like at the almost the height of his celebrity but He is, absolutely. Yeah. I mean it's like here's a beggar. Well, and that's why I, I, like, if I had to choose, I think they're just mimicking the disciples because the disciples, why would, why would they rebuke people bringing children to Jesus unless they thought it wasn't that important? Like, Jesus got bigger things to fry. Does that make sense? Um, bigger things, he's, bigger fish to fry. Thank you. Um, I think I got time to stop for children. And I think in the same situation here, the crowd's like, he ain't got time for you. He's, he's, you know, he's, he, this is a big deal. He's a big deal. I'm not going to stop and, like, hang out with some blind guy. That's exactly, that's what I think, too. So it's, it's a little bit of a, um, you're kind of like, okay, now we get to see the real colors of the crowd. Like, they really aren't thinking they're not. They're, they're actually, even though they're with Jesus on the way, and they're very excited about Jesus, they still there's something not quite right about them. So, I mean, that's what I, I do think that. I'm not the only. I mean, I'm not the only guy who thinks that, but there's other people who think things differently. So, because it's more about like the power of Jesus to, you know, change people's hearts and minds. Maybe, but if, if he was, but there's only two. There's only three women at the cross. You know. So it's kind of like, all, well, here's the thing. The only guy who really knows what he's doing here is Jesus. That's all you really got to concentrate on. And the only one who really gets Jesus in this story is Bartimaeus. So, but the setting, this is important, though, uh, because um, the, Bartimaeus is sitting, sitting, so he's on the ground, and he has something around him. He has a cloak. And what does he do with the cloak? Throws it off. Now, now he doesn't take it off. He throws it off. And he sprays up. And he didn't get up. I mean, the word is, the word is like jump. Boing. So there is a, uh, there is no, he is, there's no inhibitions. No hesitation. Throws his cloak off, springs up, and then what does he do? He goes to Jesus. Now, what, what, he hasn't changed yet, though. What hasn't changed? He's still blind. I think it's very interesting. Who, who led him to Jesus? That's right, nobody. 
I mean, no, no person. So that's different than other passages, right? Where four people bring somebody, mother intervenes for her child, Jarius for his child, um, parents are bringing children, no one. So again, if you're picturing this in a film, imagine a blind man who might have his underwear on, right, like going to Jesus. Right. That makes me think of that. You know, jump, jump. Yeah. Well, I mean, why would why, well, why did John leave for joy? Or, uh, yeah, because of joy, right? I mean, there's the joy presence of Christ. Yeah. So it's the same imagery. Good job, Marilyn. The um, yeah. So it's a very powerful image because he's blind, but he knows exactly where he's going. Where the disciples have sight, and they they don't know where they're going. They don't know, which is you know testified from the previous passage, right? So it, it's a very odd picture, but it also is very powerful because you have a blind man who knows exactly who Jesus is and he knows exactly what to do as a disciple. And he fulfills it by, by walking with Jesus into Jerusalem into the very spot where he will he'll die. Now, um, the one question you should ask yourself is, well, where was he? when the disciples scatter. Okay, so again, this is something where it's a very powerful image, but at the same time, still doesn't quite, doesn't quite work out when push comes to shove. Again, so it's very realistic in that sense, too, of us who might, be, who might spring up and have no hesitation, and then when things are really hard, you buckle. Sowing the seeds. That's right. <laughs> yeah, springing up quickly. So um, now, okay, great. So that, that's important for us to kind of picture in our head because uh, those characters are important. Um, they, uh, all right. Well, Bartimaeus, by the way, son of Timaeus. That's what the name, Bartimaeus means son of Timaeus. It's not really a formal name. Bar, like Simon Bar-Jonah. Bar-Jonah. Means son of Jonah. That's Simon. So it, it's not unusual. But Timaeus is a Greek name, so it has got a Hebrew word with a Greek name. It's kind of odd. Most people, in case you're, that's kind of a nerdy thing to say. But um, some people say, why would Mark mention Timaeus unless perhaps Timaeus was well known amongst this early church? It's the same with um, later with Simon Cyrene. He's got his familial connection in Mark too. Also, yeah, that's a little. I find that interesting too. But all right, Krista. My pastor, I thought he was healed. That's that's quite um, a quite a statement, and he's quite. Um, uh, <clears throat> uh, should they say uh, uh, a real um, Jew is what Jesus is saying? Oh, yeah, 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 right. Yeah, it, but the thing is, though, is like they just, he doesn't actually, they don't give his name. It's not like Joe or like me. They didn't say Marcus was healed. They say son of James was. So that's why it's kind of unusual. Um, but at the same time, um, 
you know, this is a real guy. I mean, the, not only a real guy, though, but also a guy who still must be amongst the faithful. So that's another thing that we see in the story is the fact that this, gen, this guy who's healed, the fact that he has a family designation means the family is with, still with the congregation. So you have a living witness within the congregation being able to say, to tell Mark or Peter or whoever is, who, yeah. I always thought the prophets were given the power of healing to be able to draw people mm-hmm. to Christ. And, you know, and the yeah, right. example of it, it brought the family. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. Um, what does that sound like, though? That sounds like another healing story with blind that Carol mentioned earlier. The guy from John chapter 9. The man was, now it's a different person, but I mean, same kind of idea as far as family because this man was born blind and his parents then are drawn into this story because of the miracle that Christ had done. So again, very powerful image because it, it, the Bar, Bartimaeus is a guy who then goes along the way of Jesus and he stays along the way of Jesus after the resurrection. Because there's another blind man where Jesus said, uh, go and wash. Yeah, at the Pool of Siloam too. Yeah, right. Again, in in, in Gospel of John. Um, so sight plays very important. Blindness and sight play in all of the four Gospels. Because for those of us who have never been blind, we can just say, oh, it's a very powerful image about who Jesus is, but it doesn't really affect me personally. Because I, I still see. Well, that's actually not why. That's, that's actually not the full story. It's not just about Jesus' power to heal, but it's also about your own physical, or your, your own spiritual blindness, which is denoted in Mark chapter 8 with the 12 disciples who aren't blind, but they can't see. Um, and th- this is another thing, too. So Bartimaeus, without any inhibitions or hesitation, he comes to Jesus knowing what's wrong with him, and there's no bargaining going on here. There's no like, hey, I'll follow you if you heal me. There's also a, a, not an acknowledgement that he likes being blind, which might sound strange. But how many of us kind of like to hang on to things? Even though we would like to get rid of them, we kind of like to get rid of them just on our own terms. Bartimaeus is not that way. And it's revealed in the, in the letting go of the cloak. He's not hiding anything. He's coming before Jesus. Yeah. Naked. I mean, was he naked under his cloak? It's an outer garment. Okay, I don't know, but I think the important thing is, is that he, I mean, he revealed his insides. His, yeah, he revealed his underwear. So... <laughs> Well, we hopeful. Yeah, we hope. Well, and that's the thing is that this difference, like, so it's like James, oh, so Jesus, I'm sorry, the point is, so Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? What is the, what are the, what does James and John do just before that? Lord, we want you to do, yes. Yeah, we want you to do what, you know, what we want. So you have these two images, right? The disciples who come to Jesus asking Jesus the same question that he says to Bartimaeus. You want, so you see these, these are two opposites. 
And the disciples want something from Jesus, so they're not vulnerable. And Bartimaeus is the exact opposite. Actually, the Great Divorce, uh, it, it conjures up images from the Great Divorce. The, I think we read that book several years ago. Um, C.S. Lewis book about, you know, a bus, magic bus ride up to heaven. Um, there's certain characters in there, and one of them, I think, is, uh, well, there was two characters in particular. One was the, 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 the character that had the little uh, lizard on the shoulder. I don't know if you guys remember that. And there's a powerful, just in case somebody, yeah. So, okay, so The Great Divorce, written by C.S. Lewis, is about a magic bus ride that goes from hell on their way to heaven. And they get off the bus, and they have to, they have to go up this mountain. And these characters are ghosts. So they don't really have any physical being. But when they walk on the grass, it's like walking on you know, uh, nails. I mean, it's, it's very hard. Because they're not used, they, they're not used to heaven. They're, they're not quite. And as you get, you go farther along, you become more solid, and things are um, more real. Well, anyways, there's certain. They call them angels. He calls them angels. But there's these thing, people, entities, persons that come from heaven to try to help them make their way up. And the one who comes down to this gentleman who has this lizard, who you can't hear what he's, the lizard's speaking to the man. You know he's up to no good. But you don't know exactly what he's saying. And this man really wants to go to heaven. And the angel that comes down is this powerful being. And he's you know, convinc- trying to convince the man to follow. But he has to get rid of this lizard. And the man's like, no, you know, I, I, can, I can keep him under control. He doesn't need to really leave. Because the only way to get rid of the lizard is if this angel touches him. But every time the angel gets close to the man, it feels like the man's being burned alive. So he's very like, ah. And the, the narrator of the book is watching. It's like a, you're, wa- you're watching this through the narrator's eyes. He's not actually part of the scene. He's just an observer. And you know, you're not really sure if it's going to happen. Because even though the man desires to go to heaven, he's just not willing to let go of this little lizard. Even though from the observer, we know it's awful, he's up to no good, he's evil. But the man thinks, I can just keep this pet sin of mine. It's so small. And if I get rid of it, it really hurts. Okay, that's, the, that's, that's what Blind Bartimaeus is like, get this lizard off of me. You know, just go ahead. He, he is, he's at the moment where he's not letting anything stop him. The other character in The Great Divorce that the, this, the disciples remind me of. So the disciples would kind of want things on their own terms. Another, another character is, uh, I think her name's Pam. You find out this character is named Pam. And she wants to go to heaven too, but she, she lost a loved one. And she really wants to take her love of the loved one to heaven. But it turns out her love for this one who's died is stronger than her love of God. And just not, not going to happen. She has to let go. 
Now, of course, the angel who comes to her says, your love will grow even stronger for this one that you feel like you'll never see again if you, you let go of this and, and love God more. Love God first. But it, she's, she's not willing to do that. She's, no, I, I mean, how could you say, how could you say that? I love my child. I think it was a child. It was either child or spouse. I can't remember. Um, was it a child? I, I love this, you know, and it's like when the person says to love God more, she's, this Pam thinks you're asking me to not love my child anymore. And it's not. It's actually to love them more by loving God first. And Again, Pam's willing to go to heaven, but just can't. Because loving your child is a good thing. So you're asking me to give up a good thing in order to go to heaven. So you have all these, I, I think it's a very powerful image. But So Bartimaeus is the opposite. He is the one who is, he knows there is something wrong with him and he has nothing to bring, nothing to hang on to, nothing to. He, and that's why he throws all his cloak and he, run, he goes to Jesus. Because there, there is a character in The Great Divorce who that's exactly like that. Because he sees it. So I think that, that, that's something that these actions are really important. So how that gets all played out, though, is, is, is you're reading it. So when the crowd says to him, take heart, Jesus says that in the gospel also earlier to the 12 disciples. Does anyone... anyone now, this would have been last spring when we read this. Take heart, it is I. Yeah, when he's walking on the water, yeah, in the storm. So it's the same thing. Take heart, cheer up, be brave, have courage. So when you hear the crowd saying that, you know God's showing up. Have no fear. Things are going well. So, and then, and then it says, get up. Now, the noun form of the word get up is resurrection. Which I think, I think they should have write it that way. Rather than get up, they say, resurrect. Okay, again, so now you're, you're like, oh, okay, wait, new life is happening now. Not only is God showing up, but new life is about to happen. And then when he's calling you, of course, we should think about Mark chapter 1 and the calling of Peter and Andrew, James and John, and the fact that he is now about to embark on a new life in the kingdom of God. So you're, you're like, hey, we know what's happened. This is good. And then his reaction makes it all the more powerful because he's, um, it's, it does happen. So the passage is a healing story, a calling story, and a story about who Jesus is. This is all happening, and it's happening at the end of this section. So, you know, from Mark chapter 1 all the way through Mark chapter 10, things have been culminating. And at this point of the story, we have a really good idea of what happens when Jesus shows up. You are healed. You're called into a life of discipleship because Jesus is God. And you see this happening in Bartimaeus. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's the hope we have. 
Bar if it happens to Bartimaeus, it can happen to us. And most importantly, in the story, it can happen to the 12 disciples. So is there any hope for the disciples? Yes, because when Bartimaeus says, let me recover my sight, he is hopeful that even though he's lost it, it can come back again. So the 12 disciples in the resurrection, as they walk to Galilee, the way of, on the way, and they see Jesus, they're going to say, let me recover my sight. And of course they do, because we're here. That's why we know there's hope for the disciples. Carol. I also have this image of Bartimaeus, he's lost his sight. And he throws himself in the jump. He's, even though he doesn't know where he's going, doesn't know what's going to happen, he's following the sense that God has given him, the hearing sense. Well, he's walking by what? Not by sight. By faith. Yeah, right. But, but, but he's, he, That's right. he hears this, and he's following that just as physically mm -hmm. lose the sense Side. Your other senses improve. Yep. Now, Carol brings up a good point. Um, in the Transfiguration, when the cloud descends upon Peter, James, and John, and it says, This is my beloved son, listen to him. Yeah, and that's precisely what Bartimaeus does. So it's a, uh, it's, it's a really Again, I, I think I might have mentioned this earlier maybe in the spring, but minor characters in the Gospel of Mark, meaning not the disciples, not the Pharisees, obviously not Jesus. Minor characters, ones who kind of kind of come in and out of the story. If you, you put them into one big patchwork, you get this like image of a faithful dis disciple of Jesus. Because all we know of these minor characters, they, they always consistently are doing what Jesus says. Yeah, Jan. When you look at the first request of Bartimaeus, it's have mercy on me. And right. reminds you of the publican standing in the synagogue yeah. in the back saying, Lord, have mercy on me. He's coming with that you know, heart that realizes that he's a sinful human being. Right. And also, so yeah, that's exactly right. So this is a, I mean, how, uh, I wouldn't say this to like a regular person, but it's a liturgical thing, meaning a worship thing. Like this is what we say in worship. They also said that in worship. So he's, he's actually, can, this is a, uh, he's coming before God in worship as, as, a, as a worship stance, as one, well, he's already on the ground. He's already humbled. So, now, the other thing, too, though, is that how many times does he say this? I wanted to keep the outline on two sides, two sheets, so. He says it twice because when do they, they tell him to be quiet, and then what does he do? Yeah he, just, yeah, he doesn't just say it, but he says what? Yeah. Cries all, right, all the more. So who does that sound like in the, in the gospel? That woman. <laughs> well, that one, and then also too the the one who <laughs> the one who bothers yeah bothers yeah who bothers the judge so much he won't she won't take no for an answer okay that's actually not in the gospel of Mark but anyways that's 
Uh, that's in Matthew, but and maybe Luke too. I was thinking of the sassy lady. Well, that yeah, Lord, I know what that means. But even the dogs, yeah, that's it, it's her too. It's it, so it's it's this real person, and then it's the person in the parable that Jesus, and that that's important too because you see this happening again, that you will have people who are following Jesus who try to silence you. And in fact, they don't know what they're talking about. Yeah, so that's another. When you desire the forgiveness of sins and real healing, you'd be surprised at people who try to stop you. And oftentimes they try to stop you because if they encourage you, what does that say about themselves? Meaning that I too need to come before Christ humbled and naked and vulnerable. So, yeah, there, I, think th- I think that's also in play. But I, definitely for sure the uh, kind of the echo of the previous woman. That's definitely in the story also. Yeah, Julie. Well, do you, well, why do you think Jesus Directly. Yeah, I think he, so I think he did as much to the, the crowd as he did to Bartimaeus. He's enlisting the crowd in his work. Because uh, by doing that, they also confess Jesus to be the one that he needs. Yeah. Now, I, again, that's, yeah. Now, of course, you know, there's been a lot of like, call, like, um, a mediated call, like God uses people to to uh, bring others to to Jesus, and I think that's in there too, yeah. But um, yeah, proximity-wise, right? I mean, he wouldn't have to really call somebody. I mean, he wouldn't have to use somebody else to call him, but he does. But the ones who told the guy to be quiet are told to call him up here, right? So again, I think I think it's something on their person too. They're like, oh wait, I guess Jesus does. I guess this is important to Jesus, so I better do it. Yeah, because I don't think they, I, I think at the beginning they don't. They think Jesus has bigger, bigger fish to fry than, than saving some blind beggar. Because beggars, of course, you know, bl- blind people and beggars are just kind of the rift, they're on the edges. And of course that actually happens, that's another important thing about where does this happen in the city of Jericho. It's not on the inside, it's on the outside. It's, so he's an outsider. Um, the, uh, uh, the other thing that's very interesting about this, and this goes to what Jan said, so it was a nice little transition. Um, some, of the, some of the early commentators uh, think this is very similar to a baptismal service. Yeah. Now, why is that? So I gave two quotes from St. Justin Martyr and St. Clement of Alexandria. Justin Martyr is from the 2nd century. Clement Alexandria's second or third century, and they call baptism illumination, and which means you know it, when you relate it to the sight, it means it means seeing or, or for, to the mind you're beginning like oh, aha. Um, I know Mary Mary Freer just left, but one of our favorite movies is Everything Is Illuminated, so. 
you should ask Mary. It's a great movie. You should watch it. <laughs> but it's, it's coming to having this, aha, I get it now, sort of thing. Um, anyways, and so, yeah, so they're actually using the, the text. They, they actually show this here. So the person who's going to be baptized says, have mercy on me. The deacon who's assisting the, the, the priest uh, in the role of Jesus says, call him. Congregation, be brave. Get up. He's calling you. Removes clothes, approaches. What do you want me to do for you? I want to be illuminated. I want to see. And then baptizing him. Your faith has saved you. Um, well, I definitely think it's a baptismal text. Whether it's literally like this, I'm not sure. Because um, the, the idea of um, removing your clothes is a baptismal connection. Because in the early church, people were baptized naked. <laughs> we don't do that anymore. That's good. We gave everybody a white gown now. Um, I mean, for little babies, we wouldn't have any, it wouldn't be that uncomfortable, but, you know, adult baptisms would be different. Um, I'm sure, I, I'm sure you might have, uh, I'm sure Pastor Bruzik's mentioned this in Bible study before, right? In the early church, they would have a screen between men and women. So <laughs> you would have the deaconesses help the women down into the water, and then you'd have the, the pastor <laughs> with the screen. So they couldn't see it. Yeah. But this is the, the persecuted Christians, they are still going down yeah. to uh, baptize them. But, uh, but with clothes on. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. Now, now, of course, we have the white robe. Yeah, which is... You would have been less uncommon, though, because Roman baths. And... Yeah, right. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There's a lot of different cultural influences happening here. But I'm just saying I feel comfortable with what we have now. Okay. <laughs> Anyways. So I, I, do, I do know that this is a baptismal text because of the removing of the clothes and the coming to Jesus. This is also, too, in Mark 14 with the man who runs away naked from the... Uh, that's also a baptismal text. Or the streaker, the holy streaker. Mark 14, verse 52, which we'll come to. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He, when Jesus gets arrested, they scatter. And this one guy in particular runs away naked. And then you see him in the tomb. So there's a death and resurrection in between his removing his clothes and getting clothed again. It's Jesus' story. So that's the same thing here. So you get a foreshadowing, is what I'm trying to say. So you have someone who has no clothes on, or at least not an outer cloak, coming to Jesus. And then you hear it again in Mark 14. So it's... uh, like, uh, I, can't, I can't remember if I said this before, but there's certain things introduced in the gospel that will come back again. Uh, any other questions? And we're early, so this is good. I try, I try, not, to, uh, I try not to say too much, so it's worked out okay. That's great. Um, so next week we'll start with Mark chapter 11. I, I think what we're going to do is... Well, I shouldn't speak for Pastor Bukes, so it might be a bigger chunk. Just depends on what he what he wants to do. Um, all right, we'll see you next week. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.